0: If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 26 to 56 in our time together this morning. Father, we rejoice that Christmas is not just a myth that we think about and dream about. It is a reality that we celebrate And Lord, as we look again at the first Christmas, and in particular the, the praises of the first Christmas, Father, give us a clearer picture of you and draw us to yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. When I was growing up, I loved the TV series Mission Impossible. Remember that? Mr. Phelps, if you're willing... You know, that whole thing. Loved it. And then, of course, I watched the movie version that's come out with Tom Cruise and so forth. Enjoyed that, too, very much. Uh, Mission Impossible. But in all fairness to those guys, it's really a bad title. It wasn't a Mission Impossible. It it was a Mission Improbable. Don't you think that'd be a better title? Because they pulled it off every time. So, like... It's not impossible. It's it's improbable. But when we come to the scriptures, and we come to this particular passage, this is a mission impossible. There is no way it can be accomplished, humanly speaking. So as we enter into this story again, and I want to work up to the actual. Praise section itself, but I want to give you kind of the backstory for it. As as we kind of walk through it, and you say, Hey, I I know the Christmas story. I always say, Treat it like that old Kellogg's commercial. Taste again for the first time. Okay? As we walk through it, and what you'll find this particular story of Mary, um, there's two scenes. The, The first scene is going to take place in Nazareth, and the other scene is going to take place in a town in the hill country of judea we don't know exactly where 60 70 miles apart we 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 don't know the exact locations but two scenes so we're going to work through both of these and then just draw some principles together for us as we think about really a mission impossible if you will so look at what the text says in verse 26 now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, if you're like me, I'm reading this and I'm saying, like, six months from where? You know, when? Like, what are you, what are you talking about here? And what we find is we read a little bit farther in the passage that, that in verse 36, we already find out that Elizabeth has been pregnant for six months. So so clearly what he's telling us is, and and, and James is going to unpack this more for us next week, but we've already had the Zechariah story where an older couple that shouldn't be able to have kids have kids. And she's in her sixth month. And Gabriel had gone to her, and now Gabriel is going to come and give a message to Mary. So what does he say? He was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And I have to tell you something else. When you read Nazareth, you know, it makes us go like, oh, Nazareth, I love Nazareth. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's really warm. But if you were living in the first century, you would go, that's a podunk, good-for-nothing town in a lousy area in the backside of the Roman Empire somewhere called Palestine. It's like, it's a nothing place. And, you know, you would never come and say, hey, I grew up in Nazareth. That would mean nothing to anybody, okay? So, so when you read this text and you say, he goes to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, that would be like going to some place in deep Kentucky. And if you're from Kentucky, I love Kentucky. I, but you know what I mean? Just think of like a place where you're like, who would, who would ever want to live there? That's where she was. Called Nazareth to a virgin, so this woman had never slept with a man, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. Now, now as you hear that, you're thinking, like, the David thing is a key. But, But that's not Mary. That's Joseph. So Joseph is connected back to David. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, now my text says... Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But you could translate that, rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. I want you to think for a moment. Do we have any young ladies here between the ages of 13 and 15? You don't have to stand up. But, but, but if you're between 13 and 15 and you're a young lady here, w- would you raise your hand? Any young ladies willing to do that? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Any? Yes, 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 yeah, Okay, okay. So you know, you, we can. You know, I, we won't have them stand up. But but, she was young. Now, in, in their day, it wasn't a, at all unusual to be engaged, or what they would say, betrothed, to an older man, and women often got married when they were. 14, 15 years of age. That's what they did in their day. So about the age of these young ladies here that are with us today. And honestly, Mary has just been living in a simple podunk place. She's poor. She's really happy she's going to marry Joseph. She knows he's connected to David, but whatever. She she has a guy that she can live the rest of her life with. She, She wasn't like praying for, Lord, could I be the one? Never a thought. Never a thought. So here she is, this young lady, just gone about life. And all of a sudden, an angel appears and says, Rejoice, favored one of the Lord. Uh, The Lord is with you. Okay. How would you feel? Oh, hi. No, no. Listen to what the text says. But she was greatly troubled at this statement. And kept pondering what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, all of a sudden, this day, you're, you're really special. Me? Or, like she said on there, I wonder if you're at the wrong house. Right? I mean, just, it was a very troubling experience. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, now now here it comes, okay? So you're there and going like, okay, that's a good thing. Favor with God, I like that, okay? But but now, now it comes. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Do you, do you realize what she just heard? I mean, she's gone about her daily... T- she, he shows up, and she's going like, whatever. He goes, don't be afraid. Okay, okay, okay. Now, I'm going to give you some, like, incredible news. All right, what, what? By the way, you're going to get pregnant. And, and we know from her response, she's thinking, I'm not even, I haven't even slept with the man yet. And this one that's going to be born, you're going to name him Jesus. And he's going to be the long awaited Messiah that will rule forever over his people. And you're going to be his mother. I'm, I'm just thinking, how would you feel? W- would that not be overwhelming? And so Mary's taking all this in. And she has this really massive question. Because she's never slept with anybody. And she's not hasn't slept with Joseph yet. So she's just thinking, like, biologically, this is an issue. So look at her question. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? That's really interesting. When the angel Gabriel appeared before Zechariah earlier in the chapter, and he said, look, your wife and you, you're going to have a kid. And remember, dear dear Zechariah said, well, okay, um, can you prove this to me? I mean, because I'm old, just like I just need a sign. And, you know, Gabriel's kind of tough on him. You remember that? But here's the question. Is there any precedent in the Old Testament for two older couples, for an older couple to actually have children who have never had kids? Is there any precedent? Does that ever happen? Yes. Is there any precedent for a virgin who doesn't know a man to have a child? No. So she's just trying to think this thing through. And she asked this great question. How can this be? How do you get pregnant? Without a guy. It's a really good question. Especially to the Messiah. If it's the Messiah. And Mary said to the, I'm sorry, and the angel answered and said to her, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the son of God Mary I'm going to share with you a mystery that you're not going to fully understand but what I can tell you is the Trinity itself is involved in the entire process the Spirit of God, God God the Father overshadowing, and that which is with which, when, when, when that egg is fertilized, that particular seed is the Holy Son of God. I don't know about you, but if I was Mary, I would have wanted even more clarification. Won't you? This mystery, something is going to happen to you, which has never happened to a woman before, and will never happen to a woman again. And in his kindness, the angel says, it's not the same, but I want you to know, to encourage you, that God has already done something miraculous in Elizabeth, even though what he's going to do with you is far greater. So so look at what he says. And behold, verse 36. Even your relative Elizabeth has, has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And here's the word. Here's the word from God. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary hears all of this. Folks, think about this. Five minutes before, she was just living life. Do you realize that? Five minutes ago, she was just thinking, like, "So I'm betrothed to Joseph, but what else do we have to do? I have to get some flowers, and I don't know what else she was thinking in her mind. Oh, but make sure I get this stuff grinded. And five minutes later, everything has changed. Her life will never be the same, and she will carry. The stigma of reputation that she was unfaithful for all of her life. Do you realize that? Into Jesus' public ministry, they're still saying, you are illegitimate. She will carry that stigma throughout her entire life. But look at her response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold... The bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. All I can say is that God was so big in her life. That even though five minutes before her life was very normal and now it would never be the same. Even though she can't fully understand the mystery of the virgin conception. Because it's not a virgin birth, folks. It is a virgin birth. But it's a virgin conception. Do you realize that? That's where it starts. And all of that is a mystery. And do you mean Mary, 14-year-old Mary, living in Nazareth, poor? I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah? And all she can say is... I submit, God, because I believe your word. Would you see that's a stretch? Would that be a stretch for you? Be a major stretch for me. Well, especially being a guy, it'd be a really major stretch. But, but you know, those kinds of things would be a major stretch for any one of us. Scene one. Scene two. Mary moves, goes very, very quickly from Nazareth to a town in the hill country of Judea. Some 60, 70 miles. We're not sure exactly where it is. But I just want you to realize, you don't want to run through that too quickly. She didn't take a plane or a bus. And the indication is she went by herself. Do you know how dangerous that would be? And, and we don't know exactly the timing of when Joseph found out she was pregnant... I suspect it may have even been after she came back... ...because she ends up going to Elizabeth's... ...and she's going to actually be there three months... ...right before Elizabeth gives birth... ...and then she's going to come back to Nazareth... ...and she's three months pregnant. You, know, you can see how Joseph might feel about some of this stuff, right? I mean, you, you start putting some of the chronology together. But what she does is... ...she is so overwhelmed with the experience at Nazareth... ...with what she has received... And, and Elizabeth has had this incredible miracle also. Go. I, I'm just, I'm just going to go. Yeah, but Mary, it's dangerous. But Mary, she goes. Second scene, verse 39. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town of Judah. And entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, the six-month-old baby. Don't tell me babies aren't babies in the womb. But anyway, that's another one. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So she rushes in there. And as she's coming, uh, uh, um, Elizabeth is watching. Remember, this is Elizabeth's first child, right? And all of a sudden, she goes, whoa. I mean, you know, ladies, you've had baby's kick, right? I think this was probably, I don't know what a leap in the womb looks like exactly, okay? But I think it's probably even more than a kick. Maybe it's a major kick. Maybe it's all, I don't know what it looks like. You're going to ask when we get to heaven. But whatever it was, it was like, whoa. That wasn't like coincidence. And the Spirit of God fills her, and she immediately says, you're the mother of the Messiah, Why would you even come to somebody like me? Because you're my relative, for goodness sake. Yeah, I know, no, 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 no. I'm having John the Baptist. That's one thing. But you're having the Messiah. And you are blessed. And unlike my husband, you believed what God has said. For something that seems absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that brings us to our praise. Verse 46. And I want you to watch this. Because in this praise, Mary will move from praise about what God is doing with her personally to praise to what God wants to do with all people, including us, universally. Do you see that? Because sometimes when you look at a story like this, you say... Finkbeiner, wouldn't you say the virgin birth and the coming of Jesus is unique? Yep. Totally unique. Like, never repeated. Well, then we're not like Mary. Oh, don't go there. God has started something in his plan, and it is true. Mary is unique when you look at God's plan because it all started with the coming of Christ. However... We are all part of the sweep of what God is doing in this kingdom, in this world. Do you realize that? And the God who does the impossible is still the God who does the impossible today. Do you see that? So one flows into the other. I don't want to lose uniqueness here. But the unchanging God that does the impossible, what was true of her is true of him. So her praise connects us to her. Watch what he says. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. And that's a cut loose term, man. You know, you know. Some, I, I, when, I, when we sing here for the praise songs, I, I like to out of the corner of my eye watch certain people when they sing. And there's some people that just kind of cut loose when they, pray, when they praise God, you know? Some of us are some more reserved. Some people kind of cut loose. This is a cut loose word. Here it is. Anyway, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. It's really important that you understand something. You're going to find it all the way through this. Very important. God is described in this praise both as being mighty Majestic other up there. you know what I'm saying? And it's being mindful of us and with us and concerned about us. If you lose one, if you lose the otherness, the, the, the awesomeness of God, then nothing about grace really thrills you all that much. He's just kind of a nice guy doing some nice things for us. And if you only have his otherness and he never enters into our world, then we're condemned and we have no hope. But her prayer connects these two very, very powerfully. I exalt in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Do you see that? He has come near to us. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And that's true. Now, there are some religious traditions that go too far with Mary. We know that, don't we? Some religious traditions where you pray to her when the Bible clearly says there is one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ, Jesus. Jesus. So there are are some traditions where people pray to her and worship her and all that kind of stuff. Mary would be aghast at all that. But she is blessed of women. And that we need to always remember. So she says, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one, see it? See it there? For the mighty one has done great, things for me the humble one and holy and awesome is his name so Mary starts out her prayer very personally and saying God you are so mighty and great and yet you are with me I'm 14 years old I'm a woman living in a culture that often looks down at women I'm living in Nazareth. I'm poor. <laughs> and, and you want me. That, that folks, that, That's incredible, isn't it? Can't you put your name in there? You know what I love about the gospel? You don't have to reach, reach a certain status to be in. Can you imagine, like, look, if your IQ is not above 130, you're out, man. We don't take under 130 IQs, man. You're out. You're out of this thing. Oh, no. In the gospel, God's spirit works in people's hearts, and God moves in that person's heart, and it can be the most humble. I don't care if the person's disabled. I don't care where they are or what they've experienced. I don't care their location, their socioeconomic status. None of that matters. And God moves toward that person and in their heart. Because he wants them. The gospel doesn't exclude. It includes. And when they respond in faith and say, God, I have nothing but I want you and I want to be forgiven. They are swept into the kingdom. (laughs) Mary, Mary says, God, I'm nothing. Thank you. But it's not just me. So she switches to all of us. Holy is God's name. And, and quoting from Psalm 103, his mercy is upon generation after generation. That's us. Do you realize that? When she prays his prayer, she doesn't just pray about herself. She says, it's for all generations after me. Why? Because something has started with the Messiah, which is changing the world. And the unchanging God who does the impossible is involved in the entire process. Do you see that? So listen to what she says. He, verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. Um, I would not, like, take my shirt off right now and show you my arm. I, I mean, I, we all know guys like that where you, you, you're in the gym or something and they, they purposely are just coming around. You, you, you know guys like that. I wouldn't do it because it would be an embarrassment, okay? So I, I just, I mean, I wouldn't do that kind of thing. You know, um, plus my wife would be aghast at that whole thing too. <laughs> I mean, she'd have a hard time with that. But 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 often the scripture will kind of you know when I, when I watch those guys doing that, I'm saying you know they're really vain. But 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 there's there's something that we, we we recognize. Strong arms means you can do things. And this passage again, building off of the Old Testament, this prayer is just filled with Old Testament stuff, which tells me Mary knew her Old Testament. But 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 she she looks back and she says. This God, you're talking about somebody who can take his shirt off and flex and say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ought to see what I can press, right? I mean, that, that's God. He's done mighty deeds with his arm. Now, this is what he's done specifically. Folks, now listen to this. Salvation is offered to all, but it's not experienced by all. If one does not submit to who God is, listen to what it says. Look, on the one hand, he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. So he says, look, on the one hand, this strong and mighty God, he is the other God. He is, there is no other. And when people, puny people in this world think, I'll have it my way. I'll do it my way. That's their theme song for singing life. And they they do that. God says, no, you won't. Because I can in one moment scatter you. I can in one moment take you and all of your position of authority as a king and just cast you down. Because I am God. Do, do, Do you see that? So when God says I can flex... That should make us nervous. Yeah. But look at what else he does. Verse 52. And has exalted those who were humble. Don't you love that? You say, God, I don't have much to offer. I'm a sinner. Messed up my life. I don't know where to go. I to, I, 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 you, you probably don't want me. God says, in one moment I will save you and I will begin the process of transforming your life. Now it may take a lifetime to transform, it will take a lifetime. But God has this way of, of lifting up those who humbly come before him and say, I have nothing without you. Do you see that? He goes on with some more contrasts. This is what he says. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Now, one thing that's important to know. It's not holy to be poor and it's not unrighteous to be rich. That's really quite clear as you continue reading through the Gospel of Luke. Here's the problem. is when people depend on their riches. They trust in that for their security. That's the problem. So it's the unrighteous rich. And... Being poor is not a virtue. But in this world, sometimes the most righteous and pure people had nothing. Do you see? So when he says this, he's not saying, hey, it's like really good to be poor. It's not the point. What it means is God moves toward people who are seeking to be faithful, who have been oppressed. God has this way of taking care of them. And people who have been the oppressor. God has a way of taking care of them too, right? You see this all through the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. So he's filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. So Mary ends up by saying, you know, this is the unchanging God. He is over all, and he comes near to the humble. And he does the impossible. He transforms, he saves, he transforms, and then he takes those people and uses them. Think about your own story as a Christian. The way you were before you knew Christ. Christ. You come to him and he saves you and, he begins, and you begin to say, I'm not perfect, but I'm thinking to myself, like, how did this ever all happen? You couldn't have pulled it off on your own. There's no way. Mission impossible. It, it's God at work in our lives to further his kingdom purposes. It just gets started here with Jesus coming and Mary. But she connects herself to us and all of this fulfills all the promises that were given to israel the text ends by saying this and mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home you know when i get to heaven i have so many questions it's going to take eternity to get them answered probably but I want to pull Mary and Elizabeth aside and say, "So what you guys talk about for three months? You, might, you must have had some whopping good discussions for that period of time." So, folks, here's the point: God does the impossible through the improbable. Do you realize that we are all? improbable you wouldn't choose us for a mission but they're the very ones god chooses the improbable people are chosen by god and mission impossible through the improbable i don't care what your age is you say i'm 13 i don't care i'm 87 i don't care i don't have a lot of money i don't care i live over there i don't care It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter. What matters is your relationship with God. And if you come clean with that, you come to him, or if you know him, you come back to him and you say, God, do the impossible through the improbable. He will. In ways that you can never take credit for yourself. Because that's the business that he's in. God is not only a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. Let's pray. Father, we are we are both challenged and encouraged when we come to a passage like this. Lord, forgive us for not believing that you are the mighty God who can do the impossible through the improbable, people like us. Lord, we thank you for the story of Mary, how you used her. And Lord, we thank you that you are not only the great God who is above us, you are the gracious God who walks with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, work in the hearts of everybody here, Lord, for those that have never bowed the knee in humility to Jesus Christ. May this be the day that they trust him as Lord and Savior and begin the greatest of all spiritual journeys. Father, for those of us that have entered into that spiritual journey with you, encourage us afresh. That if we will rest in you, you will do things that only you can do through the most improbable of people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.